Pursuing down the soulless deep, limbs that gleam in shadowy hair, are floating lazy, half asleep, dive and double and follow after, snare and flowers and kiss and call, with lips that fade and human laughter and faces individual. Well, this side of paradise, there's little comfort in the wise. Welcome to Not So Much the Neutral Zone, a podcast about Star Trek. Not Rupert Book Poetry. <laughs> Bye, ladies, where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I am, as ever, your host, Kareen, joined by the fantastic Kim. Hello. And the amazing Ari. Oh, I've been promoted. You have been promoted, but only because I've had about three cups of tea in the last half hour and I'm feeling pretty perky. <laughs> so that was an excerpt from Tiare Tahiti by Rupert Brooke, for which this episode is named. We are on episode 24, This Side of Paradise. 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 I could keep going. Uh, oh, are we supposed you to stop? Probably stop. Okay. I'm kind of enjoying the floor show. You yeah, are you're really welcome. stepping up your intro game. You I work really hard. I know. And you almost got all the words right and in the right order, too. You did. You mean almost. (laughs) So we are here to talk about the 24th-ish episode of Star Trek. (laughs) And I'm going to actually put this up with one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek ever. I can't decide if I'm surprised or not at all surprised. Well... To be fair, it does feature a love triangle between Kirk, Spock, and some girl. <laughs> yes, it did. See, now my question is going to be whether Kim hates this because it's goofy. It's, it's goofy. It's a wonderful goofy But loves one-off. it because it's a Spock episode. Okay. Uh yes, I didn't I'm not over the top in love with it the way I was with um the other one that I really like, but it's the name I can't No. The dag um the dagger one. Dagger of the mind. Dagger of the mind. Really? But I did really like this episode. <gasps> wow! <gasps> yes, and I will debate your goofy. I didn't actually find this goofy at all. This didn't. Really? Yeah. I thought. I mean, it's it's. If I think it falls into the goofiness category, but it's certainly not one of the more goofy episodes. Question: mm. Is this a metaphor for marijuana? Um, I think it's a metaphor for all kinds of mood-altering drugs, especially prescribed antidepressant and the pharmaceutical what? industry. Actually, I thought it, I thought this one was communism. Oh, that too, yeah. The flowers are communism? Togetherness. I think the flowers are psychiatry. Compassion. No, I think the flowers are supposed to represent the counterculture of the 1960s. Oh, that there's too. lots of stuff in this episode. <laughs> Much more than I thought. No, because it's all about once, once a flower ejaculates on you, and I'm going to use that... Forever. I'm, I'm afraid to... I can't even, you know, naysay you on that one because it's accurate both factually and metaphorically. Thank you. Yeah, it's really the only way to describe what happens is those flowers ejaculate flowers. everywhere. Into people's faces. Yes. <laughs> this episode is a gift. It is a gift to me specifically. But since the whole thing is basically a hippie commune in space, I think communism and drugs both apply. I don't understand communism because of spores. And it's well, not just the spores, but like the whole sort togetherness. of... Togetherness. Togetherness, symbiosis, 
perfect harmony, et cetera, et cetera thing. I didn't think uh, it was supposed to be so much communism as like, um, well, socialism, just certainly. like a commute, a more like a, of a communal type deal. Like, um, it almost felt culty at times and it was sort of like a collectivism. Collectivism. But, but definitely. we don't actually see any of that. Well, you get, well, for one thing, they explicitly mention that they're vegetarians. And for another thing, we have Kirk's, you know, little, oh, well, we're not meant for harmony and togetherness speech. Well, it's anti-establishment, anti-rules. I'll grant you that. These are space hippies. Oh, yeah. I don't know that they're technically communist space hippies. They're certainly collectivist space hippies. But it is all about counterculture, and that once you start taking space plant ejaculations in the face, you lose all will to succeed or challenge yourself or lose all ambition, which I think people would have looked at the hippies and gone, oh, what happened to you? Yeah. I think the most important thing, though, that you take out of this whole collectivism, whatever, was the... It's a terrible failure? (laughs) No, for for the people who are participating, it is where they get the feeling of a sense of belonging. And in that way, it almost felt culty to me. Um, especially cause like at the end you have Spock, Spock when he's like really upset and he's like, I don't belong anymore. And it's, it, it's really about finding a place and finding a place that's sort of where you can feel accepted and loved and blah, blah, blah. Also, I'm not sure whether, like we clearly have the, the Kirk side versus the space hippie side, but I'm not sure where the episode came down on like which belonging is more important. It is ambiguous, but I think. Slightly less ambiguous because everyone is just a host of yeah, yeah, spores. Yeah. But Spore like, host. take that out of the equation and it gets a little bit less. So I'm going to tell you the original story behind this okay. episode, which was about Sulu. Oh, really? Ooh. Right. So it was that Sulu had this illness. They went down on the planet and it was that he was with the spores. The illness was not life-threatening anymore, but he had to stay on the planet. And so McCoy essentially had to write him medically out of Starfleet. And there was conflict there. And he fell in love with a woman. And yeah. Oh, there's a Voyager episode like this. Um, the one where Janeway and Chakotay get left behind on the planet because they yeah. got bit by the same and bug. And they can't leave the planet. Kim's favorite episode of television uh, ever. Yes. AKA yeah. the one where Janeway and Chakotay totally bang. I reject that. You will watch I'm happy person to leave it ambiguous. Yeah. And so DC Fontana, so Dorothy Fontana, was given this script because it was not good enough (laughs) and looked at it and said, well, this this isn't a story about Sulu. This is a story about Spock. Mm -hmm. And so Nemo was actually quite shocked to receive this script because it's a complete turnabout. Um, Seeing... Spock smile? It's yeah, weird. It's it was weird. really eerie. Yeah, it well, was. Well, even just seeing... Because Nimoy was... Nimoy was not a reserved man. And, like, certainly compared to Spock, it's shocking whenever yeah. he was using his real facial expressions. <laughs> it was always so... It's like, it's like um, hearing David's... Like, seeing David's Suchet without the mustache. Oh. Or hearing him speak in his actual voice. Mm. It's just... Mm. It's surreal. It's, it's true. And with both of those actors, I would... I would argue is that you don't realize how much acting they are doing oh, yeah. until yeah. you see them in real life. And you're like, oh, Nimoy, everything you're doing with your face yeah, yeah, and the lack of reaction, but somehow within that lack of reaction, that lack of expression, managing to convey so much with the mm-hmm. slightest like twitch of the eye or 
eyebrow. move of the eyebrow. Yeah. It, he does give an incredible performance. Oh, yes, he really does. This is a great episode for Leonard Nimoy. I love this. I think it was a good episode for everyone. Oh, right yeah. yeah. We did an amazing I job. I really liked this episode. <laughs> it was a good episode. <laughs> yes! And do you know what? And do you know that. why it was a good episode? Why can't? Because it was about feelings. And it was about everybody's feelings. And Corrine's making a face now. I hate feelings. Oh, I loved feelings. And you know, like I mean, the thing that's shared. I noticed that it shared with Dagger of the Mind was it didn't end on a ho 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 quip. No. No, it was devastating. Yes, yeah. which is why I loved it. No, it was the worst. Argy and I just turned to each other when. Fuck, that was grim. Yeah. And me, I was like, oh my god, that hurts so good. <laughs> this is the kind of TV I like. Kim enjoys being punched in the testicles by emotions. That yes. is true, actually. I would have said punched in the face by emotions, but yes, that's a general principle. Yeah. So the episode opens. They're going to Omicron Seti 3. I spent the entire episode calling it Omicron Perseid 8. Because that is one of the planets from Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> Did it also have jizz flowers? I don't know. I just I can just think of the the, the big green space uh, broadcaster oh, being Omicron Perseid eight. I love those guys. Uh-huh. Knowing it's Futurama, probably yes, they did have ejaculating plants, and they are going out to this colony. And again, this is one of those very um, one of those moments where you're like. Oh yeah, they're really doing a western in space because it's, it's been... because it's this ship of 150 men, women, and children who are going off to colonize a planet. Yeah, and the weird idea um, that the American West and by extension space is totally devoid of indigenous life. It's just there waiting for you to settle it. Yeah, it's very frontier. That is something I colonial. don't miss about the original series compared to later ones because we actually get to see established other civilizations that aren't just. Very presumptuous human colonists. <laughs> Seriously. Well, and again, we haven't really met any non-humanoid We haven't met people who yet? couldn't certainly be humans, even though there are certainly episodes where I think contextually they're not supposed to be actually No, humans. like there were the beluga brains. Yeah. But, they're, they, but like, they were humans that evolved. And same thing with like Trelane and... So, we, I mean, the two classifications we've met are... Aliens that are so mentally superior to humans yes. that we can't quite comprehend their powers, mm-hmm. or like the Romulans and the Vulcans, who are basically and the half humans with, with pointy eyebrows. ears, yeah. yeah, and the and the half dozen species that look exactly like humans, but contextually you probably are not. Yeah. Hard to say. Hard to say. Hard to say. Which is why I'm super excited about next episode. Which, I mean, all of these episodes are my favorite, but some are more favorite than others. But we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. But yeah, the the fact that there are ships with no essential sense of survival that are just going out to these planets to colonize or yeah. farm it. Yeah. And I don't know that they're really Starfleet approved or they're just people who got... Had well, like, some of them definitely are. This one seems like, I mean, they're civilians. They can't stop them kind of thing. But it also took them like, oh, they haven't been in touch for almost four years. Yeah. Maybe we should go look them up. Well, I think this is another one of those, like, they're so far out from Earth, no ship has been able to get around to them until now. It's the same thing as Salt Monster. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're essentially gone out to look. They're really not going where no man has gone before because other people no. have huh. gone there before. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. They're the second people to go after those people who went where no man has gone before and then usually gets themselves killed and or possessed. Yes, and in this case, as far as they are aware, all of these people are dead. Yes. So there's 
Berthold? Berthold? Berthold is how they say it throughout the episode. Whatever. Science rays! Science rays that are aiming at this planet, which should definitely have killed everyone. Lethal radiation. The thing that totally gets me here, though, is, like, they say the colonists knew there was a ch- like these were dangerous and they were going to die and they went anyway. Like well, they you know what I have to say to that? Space hippies. They deserve That's to true. die. Yes. Although well, what they say is that they they have only really started studying these things and when the colonists went out they were like, "Well, there's a chance that the this uh the the, the space radiation doesn't just kill you, it will disintegrate you." Uh, that seems like a fairly high risk to me. I think or if there was even like a 10% risk of disintegration, disintegration? I'd be like, I would mm, I'll wait for the next one. But <laughs> there they're are plenty like, of that they space. didn't know for sure that these, these space rays would kill you until more recently, is what they say. I just like smoking. Well, it might kill you, so we'll just keep doing it until science Yes, but on well. cosmic mm. scale. That's true. And also, then- I've never seen smoking disintegrate people, but I don't know about those vape things. <laughs> There's still time. I've often looked at people and wish they would disintegrate. <laughs> so Kirk has this moment where he's like, oh, they're off to build a future in a place they know they would not survive. And, oh, colonists. Oh, pioneers. Yeah, and I was looking at this just thinking, why was this an option? <laughs> yes. So they decide to send down a landing party because apparently it won't kill you if they're like a week. for a little while. They'll kill you after a week. Now, I was wondering if... If this is radiation that disintegrates you, does that mean that you're fine for six days and 23 and three quarter hours and then you just go poof like a Whedon vampire? So fair. Does it start at like your fingers and then like (laughs) your extremities and work your radiant? Or do you start internally decomposing? Or does it just start on your skin and work its way in? Does your body just ejaculate out? Is it also like cumulative over your entire lifespan or does it have to happen all at once? Like if you get like one day of this kind of radiation every once a year for eight years, then will you dissolve? Most radiation is cumulative, so probably... Wow, sucks to be those colonists. There's a lot of questions Although coming from have... science science rays. Yeah, that's true. So they decide to send out a landing party of five plus Kirk, who apparently does not count officially, <laughs> including McCoy, which makes sense, and a biologist, which doesn't. Why would you send down a biologist to this planet? This right. is essentially a rescue mission to see if these people are... What would you even find? Uh, well, torches that you need to figure out how they die. But they they're... disintegrated. Maybe a grave digger to be valuable later. <laughs> a landing party did it. Well, did isn't, it? isn't he the one that sort of uh, biologist? I don't. He I waves a plant in someone's face and it's like, "Hey, what's this?" I don't think they're using biologist in quite the way that most people would interpret it. But isn't he the one who goes around and is like, "Um, the way they're planting farms is wrong and suspicious." Is Why sad. would you think that when you're going down to what is essentially a ghost planet? I have no I'll, idea. I would say bring down a landing party of five, including McCoy and a grave digger, because plot cream. So they beam down to the grossest summer camp of all time. I think it's a horse. It was it's a ranch. It's, yeah, a horse it's, ranch. A, it's, it's definitely a ranch. Kind of There's ranch. a yeah. barn business. It's in like what I can only describe as 1970s Jasper colors. <laughs> the grossest green that ever. What? Why? It looks sunburnt. It's gross. I hate that color. Everything about it reminds me of the 70s, even though I wasn't alive in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, and they stand there, sort of looking around. Uh, and Kirk philosophizes. Which I definitely liked. Another it's so dream pretty around here. Failed. Too bad everyone's horribly dead. And then all of a sudden, here come some space farmers, who are in fact not dead. Definitely not. Uh, their leader is... Elias Sandoval. Sandoval. Sure. Z- he sounds like a Zoolander character. <laughs> Zandoval. I think it's just Sandoval. Zandoval. Anyway. 
Zandaval. Come, children, let's go play Zandaval in the courtyard. So then they're stand- we go to, like, musical interlude. Yeah. And we come back. And Zandaval is standing so close to Kirk, it has it made me uncomfortable looking at them. Oh, no one can take a step back here. Are you like rubbing chests? Is that your way of saying hello? Maybe. Also, Kirk is like, uh, you're supposed to be dead. <laughs> you couldn't call. And they say, oh no, our radio was broken, and there was no one on our colony who could fix. The space radio. That is a techno. That is that is a like failure recruitment. Yeah. Although I think it's just a lie. No, I honestly think that these stupid space hippies didn't think to bring someone who knew how to fix a radio. That seems odd to me. They brought five people who can make artisanal soap. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I would also like to pause this podcast and talk about the amazing sideburns that everyone has in this episode. They're very pointy. Yeah! So pointy. I didn't actually notice the sideburns. I was too busy being distracted by their brown coveralls that were just they were awful. All green. That was gross. I don't actually care about the colonists because they're all fuggos. I'm talking about... <laughs> <laughs> I am talking about our crew, most notably McCoy so and Kirk, who have amazing pointy sideburns that I was into. I did not notice they that. At all. Um, and everyone, and they have this super awkward moment where it's like, oh, you shouldn't be alive. And Sulu, Sulu makes the extremely scientific suggestion that maybe they're ghosts. <laughs> I love this part. Everyone's like, just takes a minute and go, wait, are they alive? <laughs> no way. You touched him. <laughs> to be fair, they've seen weirder shit before this. Yeah. Then they have an argument about it, which has to be like, like, the epitome of all staff meetings, where you're essentially debating in a vacuum of nothingness, just going around like, are they dead? Are they alive? Are they dead? Are they alive? <laughs> Guys. So, Zanderbal takes them into Green Gables mm-hmm. and talks about their amazing colony, which they've got split into two. Is it two? It's or two more groups. than one. No, it's two groups of 45 people, so that if there's a disease in one, they'll still yeah. let people survive. Which, which I assume is to explain the very uh, small guest cast that they wanted to bother spending time <laughs> on this episode. We see, like, yeah, yeah, four yeah. people from You're, this colony. First. <laughs> that is very accurate. And then inside of Green Gables is... Our first softly lit woman of the episode. Yes, that's exactly what I wrote yeah. down. A soft lit <laughs> blonde appears. She's not even... She's soft lit from... The front, but she's also soft lit from the back. She's glowing. Yes. Because she's standing in a window and also softly lit from the front. It's... It might be radiation from all those rays. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's affecting us. Mm. Damn. So her name is Layla. But as soon as she appears, though, Spock gets a dramatic zoom in. He does. <laughs> he never got one of those before. That's true. I think this is his first zoom in. Mm-hmm. And that's I don't remember her low. last name. Have you got it? Colomy? Colomy? Colomy. Colomy. Because I was like, colony. That's a weird name for a colonist. And she's a botanist. I'm going to put also some heavy quotation marks around that. Well, no, we have to grant her title. I'm sure she worked hard before she joined the space hippie colony. She's a love doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, we in have, a sense, actually, botanists are. <laughs> we have renamed her Dr. Love. And at this point, I devolved into writing the lyrics to Been a Long Time, Long Time, Shouldn't Have Left You, Left You, But That Don't Beat, Step Two, Step Two, Step Two, which 
overrode all the dialogue that was happening. <laughs> I have no idea what they said to each other. Well, I can tell you, um, Sandoval goes on and on for a while in an immediately suspicious way about how, oh, they don't, they don't have complicated machines. There may be Luddites, except they're also suspiciously peaceful and harmonious. He uses those words at least four times, peace and harmony. Yeah, he says there's no vehicles or weapons. It's complete peace, at which point I wrote in giant letters, space Amish. I wrote definitely not a cult. <laughs> These are my kind of people, to be honest. No technology. It's great. High balls. Really ugly overalls. Oh, ugly overalls. She is wearing tragedy overalls. I am fascinated by her outfit, honestly. She has a violet shirt. Mm -hmm. Violet short sleeve shirt. With a lace collar. With a lace collar. So on on top is Anna Green Gables. On bottom is, in Soviet Russia, overalls wear you. (laughs) And yeah. they're different green from everyone else. The thing yeah. is that if the colors were completely different, I wouldn't hate this. But they're, they do not go do together. Do you secretly want to, like, put cars together on an assembly line? <laughs> no, but I mean, if it's supposed to be, like, a, a like, the lace aside, if it weren't for the lace, honestly, I also wouldn't hate it nearly as much as I did. Oh, ruling Kim. Oh, it was pretty bad. Thank you. Um, I, I was also, like, uh, there's this trend, this weird trend I've seen in the last few episodes of, like, having, like, societal uniforms where everybody in the society wears the exact same thing, except the single lady who is the representative yeah. of the species gets something fancy. And I like it better when they're lighting. all wearing exactly the same thing. Although she is more dressed than most of our female guest stars. Oh, yeah. She's, so, like, like, buttoned up. Her whole torso is covered. She's, She's wearing pants. She was wearing more clothes than Nichelle Nichols. So Sulu is off taking a look on the- this is yeah, amazing. Sulu and Rando, whose name so, I don't remember. He's like, hmm, something doesn't seem right. But when it comes to farms, I wouldn't know if it wasn't right or was. He is a botanist. I yeah. know that was like the what this was like. There's a few things in this episode that were just like completely did not ring true. And the first thing was Sulu like settling down next to a giant ass alien flower and being like. This planet's got nothing going on. Like, see this giant nut? He had no acknowledgement of the flower. Nothing. It was like, you were the worst botanist ever. He has an exotic flower collection, and that is not a euphemism for lady bits. (laughs) He has named them. Yeah. Yeah, it was also not a euphemism for lady (laughs) bits. So, and then they see the barn and like, ooh, what's in the barn? Not farm animals. I was super on board with this guy who's like, let's go check out the barn and play with the animals. I was like, there could be cows in there. There could be babies. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, But it turns out, to the disappointment of all, there are no cow babies. I was really upset there were no cows in this episode. Also, they were like, there's not even a dog. What? Well, to be fair, that is, you know. Would you take space dogs on the colony? I was taking cows. Would you take a space cat? A big cat. Both a cat would eat the space rats. Both. I would take a space cat and a space dog if I was starting a space farm. Me too. The cow will kick the dog, and the dog will chase the cat, and the cats will eat the rat, and the flea will um kill us all with the plague that's on the space planet. I yeah, but it's an ecosystem. It's <laughs> <laughs> full of lethal radiation. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, they find the spooky-ass flowers. Yeah. They wonder aloud where all the animals are that the colonists definitely brought with them, but are not here now. No. That's not suspicious at all. And then Zonderball has a chat with Dr. Love, and she's, he's like, oh, do you want her? Don't, do you want him? And she's like, yeah, I want him. Speaking of Spock. Oh, yes, make him stay. Uh, she's stay. like, there is no choice. They will stay. 
But she does ramble on here a bit about the fact that Spock has no feelings. Yes. Keep that in mind. Spock has no feelings. No feelings. Which is not technically true. No. No. And McCoy is examining all these people and has the worst bedside manner ever. He is furious that these people are healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, genuinely upset. They're unsettlingly healthy, in fact. Yes. And there's a great shot in here that was definitely done at, like, the magic hour when the sun is setting of Spock in this beautiful farmland, looking out into the distance where there are nothing. Nothing. There's no animals, no insects, no nothing. Yeah. They say the only thing there is is flora. Yes. And which is weird because they did bring animals with them. Um... And Zonderball is like, oh, the soil is so great. We definitely... Let us give you a tour. This planet is perfect. When people start saying that, you should immediately yeah. assume that it is not And Kirk perfect. asks about three times, what happened to all the animals you brought with you? And Zonderball keeps changing the subject. <laughs> they, he, no one here answers a direct question. Not a single one of at them. At all. Mm-hmm. And Kirk at no point is like, no, wait. The question I asked was... Where are all the animals? Take a look at this rich soil. It grows everything we need. We grow enough to sustain, but no more. That is not what I asked. What I asked is, where are the animals? Yeah. Um, And then the yellow shirt, whose name I did not get at this point. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the crop yield, which I kind of loved that they were talking about crop yield. Good lord. (laughs) And there was... A lot, there was different, lots of different crops, but not a lot of each crop. It's like, basically just enough to sustain the colony. And yeah. no more. Yeah. Which yeah. is odd because if you're, you if always grow something. Yeah, because things could go terrible. And Kurt says, oh, it's a jigsaw puzzle wrapped in an enigma. Wrapped in a sweater vest? Yeah, it is. And then um, Bones calls. Yes, yeah, so they are perfect and they should have like scar tissue for things. Like <laughs> oh, that. and by the way, Sandoval's appendix has grown back. Yes. That's creepy. <laughs> At this point, I don't know whether I was hallucinating or not, but I wrote my, to myself, are they vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair question given past events. Yes. <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, we get a similar sequence between Spock and Layla, who are sort of wandering around. Oh, Spock's this like, is this is weird. There aren't even any damn bugs. What the hell is going saying, on? You should be dead. I love this part because he actually asks her, like, point blank, what is going on? And she and says, that can be explained, but how about I hit on you instead? Yeah, she literally says, I will explain it to you later. Yeah. <laughs> Spock's like, the thanks. I really just want the answer. <laughs> And she decides to go into their past relationship with honestly, I can't see. Mm-hmm. She had feel. From what I understand, is she had feelings for him, and he did not return them. And she assumed Decided it was, it was because, because he was a Vulcan with quote unquote no feelings. Yes, he says. He says I have no feelings, and she says I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, she does get to feel him up though. There is a lot of feeling that she goes on here. Him. So Kirk has relayed all this back to Starfleet and they're like, oh, you should leave immediately and take yeah, all those weirdos with you. Yeah, ordered them to evacuate. Because of the lethal disintegrating rays. radiation. And Zonderball is all like, uh, no. <laughs> there's no death here. Which again, I'm gonna throw a red flag on that plate. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean there's no death here? <laughs> Kirk People asks again. die. What about your animals? We're vegetarians. <laughs> No, the question that I ask is, where are the animals? <laughs> We're vegetarian. So am I. I still have a dog. 
And uh, now we're back to Layla and Spock, where Layla's like, hey, smell this extremely suspicious, yeah. creepy-ass flower. And Spock, for some reason, <laughs> does so. Oh, God. And it explodes in his face. Okay. So it ejaculates on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, she- <laughs> all the answers you need will be, will be right here. <laughs> Just put your face right up into that flower. Nothing junk. bad will happen. <laughs> and like Spock is so dumb right now. He is. He uh, and it starts screaming in pain. What? Okay, when we say the plant ejaculates, I want to make it goes, sure poof. It goes. It, there's a poofing noise, and then white foam gets sprayed. All over. It's like confetti. Mm-hmm. It's like little bits that go everywhere. Also, I yes. want to note that despite the general hilarity of the flower literally ejaculating in people's faces, my eyes started itching anyway in like synthetic <laughs> allergic reaction. I'm like, that's like what happens to me for seven months out of every year, except in space. You got space hay fever. <laughs> Sympathetic space yes. hay fever. Aww. My God. Aww. So Spock is curdling, screaming in pain, saying, please don't. I'm not like you. She says it shouldn't hurt. It didn't hurt us. And that's when he says, I am not like you. And that's when I wrote down, she is a shitty biologist. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, she's high on space flower spores. Maybe she's a better biologist when she's not high on space flower spores. Interjection. Mm -hmm. Yes. Are they high on the spores or are the spores controlling them? The spores, I think, are controlling them. I think the explanation is that the spores are a little mini life form. Yes. That survive by, like, going into Into your head. Yeah, going into a host, giving them, like, sereneness and peace and tranquility, protecting them from the science rays, and letting them live so the spores can live on, as I believe I the explanation. I, do. I don't. I don't know that I would say controlling them. I mean, yeah, that, that's it exactly is, what I would. I just. I would think of it more like a symbiosis with potentially not beneficial side effects. No, because they have no free will. Well, no, they they make decisions. It's just that uh, their decision making is impaired. It's, it feels like this is why I thought initially, like for the first half of the episode, that it was going to be something. The theme was going to be like psychiatric medicine is not the greatest thing ever because it was like um they talk about at one point somebody says the words like it's like everyone's been given a happy pill yeah so it's like what it felt like is it was like an evening out of emotions so there's no ups and there's no downs there's just a a contentment which tracks with how they managed to counteract it but when kirk is infected with it he does not want to feel that way the spores force him to be that way. But he also manages... That's because, to... like the Hulk, Kirk is angry all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, Kirk was... I don't know. Kirk is always the one who always has knows exactly what's going on and can always fight against whatever evil is happening because he's like a super special magic girl. Mm, yes, he is my manic pixie <laughs> I, I don't know that so, I would say that it controls them so much as it heavily impairs their judgment. It does. It forces them all to go back to the planet. Well, they want they, they their judgment. No, that's the like spores want them to go back onto. Well, the yeah, but it 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 seems clear that given enough impetus, you are capable of fighting it. It's just that there's no other reason to. Because well, the the idea where I get that they're not being controlled is right at the end before everybody starts, you know, fighting their way out of this. Is um uh the Elias guy, the leader guy, goes up to McCoy and is like, "We're gonna find you a job." And McCoy, drinking hands, like, what are you talking about? I have a job. I'm a doctor. And he's like, it's not a real job anymore. And McCoy's like, 
uh, the fuck it is. Yes, it is. So, like, that's where I feel like there is still some control over what they're doing and decision making. And it's, it's just, impaired. it's just an evening out of emotion to get rid of, um, like, it's like there's conflict. no ambition. There's like anything. Yeah. Any conflict. Any and kind absent of, conflicting of emotion. and absent of those. And by the way, this is a very Ferengi kind of speech that Kirk gives near the end that you need conflict, you need greed, you need, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, but absent of those motivations, yeah. your your available decisions would look very different. It's like going back, go back, I can't remember the title, but now it's the episode where Kirk is split into two yes. two halves, and you have this the half that's aggressive yes. and angry yes, yes. who can get shit done, and the good half that is like basically paralyzed with indecision and can't do anything. Mm-hmm. This is sort of, it felt like the same idea yeah. of like, you're taking off like, the, any kind of emotion or drive to achieve anything or move forward. It's like a graph with no spikes. I will give you that, but what this put to mind to me is the spore that gets inside of the mind of an ant. And it's a little fungi, and it places itself in the brain of the ant and forces the ant to climb and climb and climb until it gets to the spot that the fungi wants. And then it stops, and it stays there, and it stays there until it grows and grows and grows, and it breaks out of the ant's skull and is there into a little spore until it bursts. There's also one that makes deer drown themselves. Yeah, it felt like this. Except this that's, spore that's is, a real thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally oh, a real thing. Oh, my God. I've never so heard of that So the spore before. is forcing them to go to a place where the spore can gestate and reproduce. Yeah. I would, I, I don't know, I would also agree with that. And I think it could be, you could always absolutely look at it as a combination of the two. Yeah. Yeah. So now that Spock is infected... Um, she says, you belong to all of us now, but really she means me. You belong to me. We're going to make out hard. Oh yeah. Immediately. And then he says. to be fair, if I had a nice compliant Spock, I would probably make out with him a little bit too. What? (laughs) He's so tall. Yes, as am I. So he said, oh, this broke my heart. He says, I love you. I can love you. And then I just started crying inside. Yeah. Yeah. Because he sounds so shocked it was so mean (laughs) they immediately put spock into the workman's outfit this was how you could tell when he had emotions versus when he didn't because as soon as he gets his uh his emotion or his control back up on the ship he's immediately in his uniform again i assume he had it underneath all the time (laughs) yeah (laughs) well it's just a coverall it's like a to keep your clothes clean while you're farming in the collective yes and he immediately starts cloud He's looking, looking. Yeah. He's watching the clouds. He's yeah. talking about rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> this was amazing. I I also have a note, are there any other women down on this planet? Or we see a cup we see one? we see a couple in the background. Really? Yeah. I don't I was remember that at all. What were they wearing? Also coveralls. Were they wearing the brown color walls or were they the same thing as Layla? I only remember noticing the clothing of one as she was wearing actual, just the regular coveralls. Layla's special. She has to stand out. It's <sighs> true. So Kirk calls him up and is like, hey, we need to evacuate the planet. And Spock says, no thanks. Yeah, I don't think that's a thing that I'm going to do. <laughs> and then Kirk says, what the fuck's going on? And demands to know where Spock is. And Spock says, I don't believe I want to tell you. <laughs> Sir. And drops his calm on the ground. Yes. So, so they go on a Spock hunt. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Going on a Spock hunt. Going on a Spock hunt. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Gonna catch a six foot four gentleman. Yup. <laughs> Wait, what's that? It's a Spock hanging from a tree. 
I have always, I always forget which episode this is in because I've seen this in so many, like, (laughs) just graphics and things. It's Spock, like, hanging from a tree, smiling and laughing. Having a great time. It's so awkward for everyone. It's so, because Kirk and Sulu and the other random who is with them are stand around. They look at each other. They look at Spock. They look at each other again. (laughs) Kirk says, are you out of your mind? (laughs) You report to me. And Spock says, I don't want to. <laughs> Which I feel like if any of us were in Starfleet, we would have a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> I actually wrote down here, Spock sasses Kirk. Kirk's very confused. Yeah. <laughs> Hurt and confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he says, Sulu, arrest him. And he <laughs> Spock tries the same trick that was used on him, just like, come That's over true. here, let me show you something. He does. And so they're all like, Okay, <laughs> but before they, as they're walking away, Kirk stops, stares at the tree that Spock was hanging at, like it's the tree's fault. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. And then they all put their faces right in those flowers, and everyone is ejaculated on. Except, Except Kirk. Oh no, somehow. he does. He does get a face full. He's of... half a step back from everybody else. Also, he is angry. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's true. Yeah, he's angry at Spock because Spock and it can't get a hold of because him. his best boyfriend <laughs> has let him down mm-hmm. and, did and not... embarrassed him in front of the other officers and did not recognize his authority. <laughs> and so this is like episode fifteen of Sulu getting brainwashed. Poor Sulu. Sulu just cannot keep it together. No, nope. um, Kirk probably very foolishly left Bones running the evaluation, uh, the evacuation, and then McCoy goes hella sex. Oh yeah. my god, his accent thickened up like a pudding. Like my the god, second, because some the other the fifth rando whose name I again do not remember comes with is helping the colonists like pile things up so that they can supposedly evacuate. Never evacuate. Shows up with two giant scary flowers. In, like, the burlap sacks that you use to move giant trees. That was amazing. And he's like, hey, Doc, you should have a look at these. <laughs> and then it, we sort of pan away to another scene. We don't actually see him get a face full of flowerages, but, <laughs> but the <laughs> next time we hear his voice, he has gone, like, like 50 miles below the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> like he moved to Kentucky for five years and then came back. Well, I mean, that's probably what his accent really sounds like when he is in Georgia. And relaxed, I yes. guess. He's really I mean, he is also more relaxed. Southern normally when he's drinking. Yes. yes. So Kirk, in a what I can only describe as a fit, um, storms back onto his ship, goes mm-hmm. to her and is like, contact Starfleet, Brr, business, business. And she turns around and is like, no business. <laughs> and I really liked what Nichelle Nichols did with her voice here. And she has this sort of... Like, Chirpy sweet, I described it as a sweet baby voice. Yeah. And she doesn't sound like responsible adult, kick-ass, badass lady horror that we know. And it was creepy and a little bit disturbing, but I also really enjoyed that she did that as, like, Good a, choice. a way of, like, no, no, she, like, you know immediately that she's infected. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, no business. And he's like, well, stand aside. She's like, oh, oh. sorry. I, like, blew that up. See you on the planet. Figure guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can't call Starfleet. No, it's actually this episode has a few creepy moments because Kirk starts running around going, ah! Yeah. And all of his crew are lined up around the block to the transporter to go back to the planet. Yeah. And he's like, what are you doing? Come back to your post. And, and then, then just like, nah. no. 
And he actually, he walks up to a crewman and he's like, this is mutiny. And the guy just says, yeah, it is. Yeah. Poor Kirk. This must be his worst nightmare. Yeah. His worst. Because he has, he has his ship still, but what is a ship without a crew? Also, he literally cannot run the ship by himself. He can do it for four days. (laughs) And yeah, everyone is dissenting. He can't stop them. The Kirk stands alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and below, this is where Bones, I wrote, Bones is getting progressively more Southern. He's making mint juleps. Um, and talking and referring to Kirk as Jim Boy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Jim Boy. Jim Boy. Uh, Spock and Sandoval are having tea. <laughs> they're having hippie tea and they're having a long conversation about how great spores are. Which I know I do every Friday. And Kirk is just listening to them sort of talk about and this is where we get Spock's theory on where the flowers came from that the spores drifted through space um found this planet they thrive on the space the science race and he describes the the the, the human spore relationship mm. as a symbiosis so that's the big theory and Kirk's like Psh, I don't care about that science yes the with the spores there's no need or want we belong and we have love and Kirk, Kirk says, says <laughs> we weren't meant for that. No. We need, there's no ambition. There's no challenge. You're not even human. And then he flounces back to the ship. And then the cheese stands alone. Jim Kirk, literally immune to happiness. <laughs> um, okay, so this next bit was probably my favorite part of the episode. Where he makes a sad LJ entry? <laughs> yeah. Basically, but no, like... He walks onto the ship and he goes onto the bridge and it's completely empty. And the only thing you can hear is the beeping of the machines. And we actually get a very long pan shot Mm. across the control panels. And it's just this cold mechanical world that he's in by himself. And he goes and he sits in his chair and he's completely alone. And you get the idea that he's thinking for a few minutes. Maybe I should go down there. But he's, he's not going to, but he's thinking like, I'm 100% completely alone. Mm-hmm. Maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe I do need, you know, but he, I, I, mean, I don't he know doesn't. if that's his struggle. I think it's that he's in, in a way he has lost his command. There's no one there. It, well, he says he's marooned. Yes, exactly. Is captain, he still has a ship, but he has no crew. Is he still a captain? Yeah, so I like the, I like the, that's sort of what I'm going through, the idea yeah. of marooned. He's by himself, and yes. there's a longing for other people. And he knows I can get that by going down there, but he won't. He, abs- like, I'm not saying that he thinks he will, or he even considers going down there. He, he won't. Yeah, he has a wonderful monologue to himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He captain logs it. This is the sad LJ post. It really, he says, I am marooned. I begin to realize just how big the ship is and how quiet. I don't know what I can offer against paradise. And while he is making this very lovely speech, a flower sneaks up on him <laughs> and jizzes in his face. I would argue, Kirk, that any time with you is paradise. <laughs> I really like that line. What can I offer against paradise? Mm, I yeah, love the face. Kareem, yeah. tone it down. <laughs> <laughs> I just found a, a book. I was going through the publisher uh, weekly's books coming out in spring and there is a book called what would captain kirk do <laughs> which uh, i am buying 15 copies of <laughs> and it is a life guide to what you should do in every situation if you were james t kirk oh my god it's like somebody's like what would kareen like to read this week and they nailed it 
So yeah, to add insult to injury, a plant ejaculates all over his face. <laughs> like in your worst, darkest moment. <laughs> oh. So he calls down to the planet. Good news! I'm one of you now. And he goes to get what can only he be He says, described. I have to pack. <laughs> and then he pulls out the most 1960s oh suitcase imaginable. Which I, I realize is probably an error, but it, I would like to think that it's like his vintage suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> I he is a that. space hipster. I yeah. believe that, absolutely. Well, and I thought this was a little bit like really sad as he went to pack the most important things to him or whatever. Yeah. He was packing all the different variations of his uniform. uniform. That was really like... That was, that was oh, depressing. That was a that punch was in the heart. Really <laughs> and then he goes into his space safe. Yeah. yeah. For and his space medals. <laughs> yeah. And for a really weird moment, he has a like he has the internal struggle, which of course, because this is Shatner, he has to act it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he looks like old Shatner, like present day Shatner for oh, a yeah. weird flash. I don't know this. I th- mean, they are the same person, but yeah. yeah. This section for me was really weird. I thought I don't know what the cinematography and the editing were doing, but I was just like, what just happened there? Because there was like this weird flash of something. Old Shatner. I th- I don't know what was happening, and I was like, "Huh?" I was also not really sure what there? the purpose of the contemplative staring at the space medals was meant to be. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be like he packs away his uniforms because I'll definitely need those on the planet of love and harmony. Well, I will have no purpose because I'm nothing, and the medals are supposed to remind him of what he actually is, what he's capable of accomplishing, of his ambition. Mm. And when he sees that, what he what he what small medals he has and what more he could do i think that makes him angry and that's what kind of sparks this because what defeats the spores is getting aroused (laughs) (laughs) oh god not aroused angry strong emotions yeah yeah aroused not just not just anger because sadness does it for layla yeah Um, he goes to beam down and as he's like setting the controls he sort of goes yeah in a way that reminds me of the dog. Yes. <laughs> Very much. Time for a bath. Looks at you. No. He turns her head away. Does not acknowledge you. It Just was like that. Amazing. And then he beats the console for a couple of seconds and apparently snaps out of it. Yeah. That was, it was really abrupt and there was just kind of like, oh, here's the solution. I, he just beats it out of himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so obviously the solution, says Kirk, is, uh, to piss off Spock. I, quite honestly, I would have gone with a slighter target. <laughs> you know, someone who with. couldn't crush me like a bug. No. And now, again, in the original script, the way to kill it was either that you had a certain blood type or booze. So they got, like they were just going to get Sulu really drunk? No. So Kirk was going to grab Spock and shove alcohol down his mouth? Okay, I prefer this. Uh, I would have enjoyed seeing, like... 15 minutes of Kirk getting <laughs> Spock super fucking drunk. That would have been a great plot and a great visual. It would have been very pleasing. What he actually but does. I enjoyed this part too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good too. He calls Spock up. He says, oh, I just remembered there's some uh, stuff up here we might want. I can't move by myself. Yeah. You want to come up super strong BFF and uh, help me grab it all? Use your manly muscles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because strong arms. the entire weird thread through this is that Spock is jealous of Layla and they're in a weird love Kirk triangle. Kirk is jealous of Layla. Yeah. It's yeah. very strange. Weird love yeah, triangle. Yeah. Weird love triangle. Very strange. And, and uh, Spock is like, A-okay, buddy friend. Yep. And beams on up. And then Kirk, who is waiting <laughs> with like a piece of rebar. It was like a, I thought it was a bat. It looks like a baseball bat. bat. Yeah. Um, 
is Kirk has essentially, like, written or put down every single awful insult that he has ever thought in his entire life. And well, then he just apparently has a, a Spock-specific list of horrible oh, yeah. like, insults. You're a computer, you're a machine, you you're devil-eared a, freak, you're a half-breed mother. It's awful. <laughs> you and Spock is, is tree- bearing up with this with remarkable grace for about 30 seconds. He's like, my mother was a teacher. Why you do this? Why you do? Why you be mean? I did really like that. Like, like Kirk went after his mother and his father. He's like insults. Yes, is just like no. My mother actually incorrect. My father was an ambassador. You come from a planet of traitors, a race of traitors, a subhuman race, a bunch of circus freaks squatting in a mushroom. This one, I said, don't hold back, Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) He just. If this was insult comedy, it is not that funny. No. (laughs) Um. At which point. They engage in an amazing fight. Yes, because the first thing Spock does is beat the crap out of him. Also, Spock bends the pipe, like, in half. It is like a battle between Frankenstein's monster and Frankenstein, in that Nimoy is just so huge and so big, or his stunt double is, that he tosses him around like a ragdoll. Yeah, and and then at the... He's basically arm-raised to deliver the killing blow and goes, Oh, wait. Yes. And then this was really sad. I love this. Well, it was like... Spock actually says, I don't belong anymore. It's very That's, sad. It was very sad. Yeah, Kirk says, well, you're... I don't know what you're so upset about. Yeah. Isn't every first officer who gets to belt his captain several times? <laughs> yes, and so they decide to rig a subsonic transmitter to make people angry. I don't know how that worked, but... Sure. Hand wave. Good Who enough. cares? Doohickey. Doohickey. Sonic doohickey. Yes, and... And Spock's like, I should go on the brig because I hurt you. We should both be court-martialed because we both struck a fellow officer. Yes. And Kirk says, if we're both in the brig, who's going to build the thingy? <laughs> Friends. Friends. And so they decide to beam up Layla. <laughs> well, yeah, Layla calls up. She says, can I come up? I've never seen a starship. I think she's, I've never seen a starship before. She just wants to bang him on the bridge. She totally does. And she immediately takes a look at him and goes, <gasps> you're no longer with us. Yep. And she's really sad. Well, there's the moment before, because Layla calls up, and they take the call on the bridge, and she says, can I come up? And Spock hangs up, and Kirk's like, um, technically none of my business, but should you really be talking to her right now while she's mentally impaired? And Spock just goes. Mm -hmm. And the first thing she does is run up and hug him, and then she's like, oh, you don't belong to us anymore. It's really sad on both sides. Yeah. There's a line that one of the lines Spock says here, and he says, "If there are self-made purgatories, and we all have to live in them, mine can be no worse than anyone else's." He also says, "I have a responsibility to this ship, to that man on the bridge." <laughs> it's very romantic. Um, so, though, so my beautiful. only question here, though, is Spock is talking to Layla about like we can't be together. I can't love you. I can't have a relationship with you. Whatever, but like. Why, though? Is it just because he actually doesn't have any kind of feelings? Because, like, we know that his father is a Vulcan and his mother is a human. And they have a successful relationship. I think it's... So where is Spock... Like, where is Spock's difficulty coming in with? Other than, like, it's perfectly reasonable that maybe he just doesn't like her all that much. Which is totally fine. She's in the... Like, she's a friend. We can totally deal with that. But that never is, like, the thing. It's always that I don't have emotions and I can't love you. I think the I have a responsibility thing suggests that it's a rehash of the I can have only one mistress 
And it's the Enterprise. Crap that we always get for a t-shirt. We get that from Kirk every time he skates too near a serious romantic relationship. He's like, oh no, I can't. My lady needs me. (laughs) My favorite part is Ari's hand on her forehead like a a wilting Victorian. I think in this particular situation, what Spock recognizes is that he will never be able to love her in the way that she wants to be loved. There's that too, because remember that her problem with Spock is that she was in love with him, but she decided that the reason he wasn't in love with her is because he wasn't demonstrating romance, romantic attachment, the way that she wanted it demonstrated. Yeah. Because he's not human. Of course he wouldn't. Presumably Sarek did not, like, woo Amanda with flowers and chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Vulcans do not have romance the same way that humans have romance, and that was her problem. Well, I think it's like when she hugs him at the end or she talks about like you couldn't you couldn't even put your arms around me is that she has certain expectation of what love is going to be like, what human love is like. And what yeah. I think he's saying is that I can't love your you expectations. in the way that a human can love you, like in that way. I don't think he's saying that he doesn't have emotions or he can't love. Or even that he doesn't love her. No, but I, I think what he's saying is that I can't yeah. love you that way. Okay. Yeah. I'm totally on board with that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> My only mister- oh, mistress is the... So really, she's bride. being really culturally insensitive. Well, again, this is the only Vulcan that many people will have met in their entire Starfleet careers, but... I don't think he'd be coy about this. No, kind I'm of pretty stuff. sure no. that he explained this to her in extensive but it's the detail. Thing that many people have over the series is that they keep waiting for the facade to drop. It's not a facade. And it's not a facade. It's his personality. Well, I mean, he does warm up a little bit. Well, he's also, I mean, I've said this before that people get used to the way Spock is and expect all Vulcans to be like Spock, but Spock yeah. is. How do I say this without it being mean? He's less Vulcan than other Vulcans that we meet because he's half human. So, like, he is a Vulcan, and that is, like, the, the, the lifestyle he has chosen to follow. But he is still more human. I'd say Sarek is more human than him. Yeah, I think, I'm going to throw that down. I think, just, okay, do we think maybe Spock suffers from the thing, the same thing that, that Worf does, where Worf is more Klingon than the Klingon, so Spock is more Vulcan than the Vulcan? I Vulcans? think so, yeah. I think so. To make yeah. up for the, like, the human, the human influence? Because we like, the get, outside cultural Yeah, because we frequently... Over and over again, we get that that Spock suffered um, the judgment of other Vulcans because he wasn't completely Vulcan. Like, they're always just waiting for him to screw up. Mm-hmm. And I think other Vulcans give themselves a little bit more leeway. Yeah. Yeah. But he I doesn't think, get that because he's not a real The thing Vulcan. I always come to is from Star Trek Voyager because we have Vorik, who, like, Vorik goes to a Hawaiian party and he wears a Hawaiian shirt. It's buttoned all the way up to the top. But he wears the Hawaiian shirt <laughs> uh, and, he put, and he puts on a lay. Yeah. It's like he's still completely in control of his emotions, but he's like, whatevs. And Tuvok gives no fucks about anything. No, Tuvok is extremely uptight and he won't wear the lay. Yeah. But he also doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. He's no. very secure in his Vulcanness. Spock is not secure. I think that's true. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good talk. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> glad, glad we got that. He does kind of lean over and wipe away her tears. Yeah, like, he clearly has affection for her. And I would, like, he likes her. But I also think that he sort of looked at her and he's like, you don't get this and you're never going to get this. It's yeah. not going to work. I think Spock's mom got it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, mean, I also wonder if maybe that came up in conversation. Like, oh, your mother is human, so 
surely this is possible the like way maybe, that I... maybe in the privacy of your own home, you, like, crack a smile. He does not, except no. when he is high on drugs. No. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, though, because Sarek is married twice, and both to times human to women. human women. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he may just have a thing for human ladies. I think he does. He's got a thing. So, they, they send the mean rays down to the planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And immediately what follows is manly rolling. Mm-hmm. Sulu, uh, and Sulu and what's his face? Like wrestle in the hay. <laughs> Layla, by the way, we almost skipped over that Layla snaps out of it because she's so sad. Yes. Yeah. And then Levi comes over to McCoy and tells him to get a fucking job. <laughs> Who is, by the way, sitting in the grass with a mint julep. Of course he is. Is that like an entire forest of yeah, mint growing on yeah. the top? So he, he gets, you People know... People are serious about their vegetation and alcoholic drinks yeah. in the future. Bones gets flower-faced, and the very first thing he does is he needs to find a mint julep. He's a raging alcoholic. <laughs> so the better part is, is that he beats the guy up without even spilling his drink. <laughs> yeah. He's a southern man, Crane. <laughs> Uh, and then everyone has a terrible space hangover. <laughs> Such a bad. Well, hangover. Elias says it's been three years and we've done nothing. Yeah. We have no accomplishments, no progress. I'd say they've had some very nice corn. Mm-hmm. There's sure. a couple of good corn stalks there. They're they're still alive, so I call yeah. that an accomplishment. It That's could have been worse, especially on the death ray planet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think you got off all right. They got the plans on. Yeah, everyone sobers up and is plunged into an existential crisis. And so, yes, they contritely have to call the ship and say, we would like out of here, please. Yeah. Uh Can't stay here. Yeah. And what follows is, what Kim hates the most is the little, like, wrap-ups, like, oh, ho, ho, wasn't that funny? But Kirk is, it isn't. It is not funny. Kirk's like, well, that's the second time we got kicked out of paradise. Yeah. What? (laughs) Maybe we weren't meant for paradise. No. We walked out this time. We have to claw our way out of paradise. Yeah, and the sound of our own drum. Maybe we weren't meant for paradise. And what this made me think of was Cisco saying, it's easy to be a saint in paradise, which Mm -hmm. suggests to me that Earth is not that far along yet. Because the way that we see Starfleet described in 24th century Star Trek series and the way that it gets shown to us at this point in the timeline, very different. Yeah, well, especially like in in Enterprise, blah, in Enterprise, there is an entire episode about how humans are really racist. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. And then it ends with the very end. Oh my oh, god! god. This is what. Yeah, well, Kirk sa- or Spock says. Excuse me, Spock says for the first time in my life. I was happy. And end episode. Oh, it was such a downer. I loved it. Yeah. And it's even sadder for the fact that he says it in this sort of thoughtful academic sense. Tone? I I don't know. It's just... (sighs) And so tell me if you guys agree. I don't think he's talking about the emotion of happiness. I think he's talking about the feeling that he had somewhere that he belonged. I think it's both. And he was welcome and he felt included and part of the community and not at all like an outsider. I think it's both. Mm -hmm. Kim, I'm going to give you a strong disagree on that one. Okay. Please I'm tell me I'm going to say it's less about belonging, more about the feelings, or the ability to express feelings. Okay. See, I would disagree because when he is unsporified, mm-hmm. the first thing he says is, I don't belong anymore. And that was the thing is when he when he is sporified, he is like, I do belong. I have a place here. 
I can definitely see how you would read that in the text, Kim, but I think that has to do with, like, that's the cult byword for your part of the cult is, <laughs> oh, you belong, I do right? think he uses the word belonging more often than the rest of them do, because they talk about mm-hmm. harmony and peace. He doesn't. He only talks about belonging. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an argument for both. We're both right! Huzzah! <laughs> yeah, that is a fucking bummer. <laughs> it really was. Interesting. But, yeah, really so, goddamn depressing. In this episode, do you feel that he was disappointed when he was unsporified? Spock? Yeah. Yes, he was definitely disappointed. At first, definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think he wanted to stay? The thing about Vulcans is that their (laughs) wants are not necessarily their primary motivators. But in his little heart of hearts, or maybe he has two, I don't remember. No, just the one. I think I'm thinking of Time Lords. Yes, you are. <laughs> I am. Did he want to stay a little bit? A little bit? I think if you're reading it from the sense of, he got a sense of belonging mm. at school, yes, he did want to stay. He wanted to go back to where he felt like he had a place and he was welcomed and he was whole and there was no conflict between his two halves. Mm. And that there was never going to be a conflict. Like, because I mean, the whole thing between him and the whole relationship between him and Layla the way you guys were talking about it is the like the fundamental like disconnect between the way Vulcans live their life, repressing their emotions, having them, but not experiencing them or expressing them versus humans who are just like messy balls of Emotion. feelings everywhere. Yeah. Um, Where everything so, is decided and so for the first time in his life, he was sort of like, um, I, I belong here. I don't need to worry about the disconnect. I can just exist and I can either have the emotions or I can not have the emotions and I can feel connected and like it's not, a, there's no, there's no dissonance between my human half and my Vulcan half. So in that way, I would say, yes, I did think he wants to stay. But his Vulcan half is essentially subsumed. It's gone. Well, the thing about, they describe, they, they describe it less and less like two battling halves. The more Spock we see, the old, the older he gets for lack of a better word that he stops seeing them as conflicting sides and sort of integrates them more. And he's a lot, lot more chill about who he is in later incarnations of original Trek. Um, I think that growing up on Vulcan, he's, I want to say ashamed, even though I'm absolutely certain a Vulcan would not describe it that way, Mm. but ashamed of not being fully Vulcan, of having that sort of human monkey on his back kind of thing. Um, But as an adult, he spends most of his life around 99% humans, which mm-hmm. makes him feel like he doesn't belong, which makes him feel like he doesn't fit in, like he's not doing things the way that everybody around him is doing them. Mm-hmm. It can't really help his sense of who he is when, at the end of every single episode, Kirk is quipping at him about how, oh, was that a feeling, Mr. Spock? Yeah. Are you being a human? Yeah, so, like, in one context, he feels like he doesn't belong and isn't who he's supposed to be. Mm. But in another context, he, he also feels like he's not who he's supposed to be compared to the people around him. So he just can't win. Is this paradise? No, nothing grows. Nothing changes. Although I guess that might be impossible to find her in paradise, and I just don't really have any interest in paradise. Hmm. It reminded me of descriptions of heaven, and to be fair, I have oh, no that expertise sounds boring in this ass. particular area. But that it that is all harmony and all love and everyone working towards a purpose. Yeah. Except none of them are working towards a purpose. Their purpose is to just sit there and... To continue to be happy. That's yeah. stasis. I'm with Kirk on this one. 
there's no point living, there's no point in a society that doesn't evolve and change and grow and better itself. I don't know that it necessarily wouldn't grow. I mean, they did grow corn. (laughs) <laughs> but that's the whole thing about like they make a point of saying that they grow only as much crops as they need to su- just just sustain themselves yeah and what's so wrong about that well nothing i just have zero interest in it and it would not be my personal definition of paradise okay. i would i don't know um because i see i've i've never actually put in any thought in before into the question of like what is paradise other than like a tropical beach with attractive people in swimsuits feeding me drinks. Um <laughs> no, no, Kim, that seemed a pretty realized fantasy. <laughs> no, to that's, me. that's like a very common tropey yeah. fantasy. Like but yeah, I don't know what paradise would mean. Would it just mean the lack maybe that is paradise, the lack of conflict. There's nothing to hurt over or there's nothing to feel pain over. Just a sense of community and belonging. Maybe that's right. Maybe that what is. That's what I have a better question for you. Belonging and love. I have a better question for you, though. Yeah, sorry. What would you do if you retired? What do you mean retired? Fine. You win the lottery. You don't have to work anymore. Oh, I've got a plan. Yeah, you've got a plan. Definitely have a plan. But is your plan just live off the money the rest of your life and do nothing? Uh, yes. No, my plan is to move to London, live the rest of my life, and do nothing. Well, I mean. Literally nothing? Well, or would you get bored out of your mind and have to do That depends eventually? on how you define nothing. Like, yeah. is my plan if I ever win the lottery and decide to, like, pick up my life and move to London, because that's definitely what I'm doing, <laughs> is, like, spend the of my life, like, reading and going to museums and watching plays and donating to charity and existing as a happy person who gets manicures once a week? <laughs> But that, that is, like, these people, they potter around, they farm, which is, as colonists, what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see them, like, playing the zither or anything, but Except, we assume they have hobbies. But when they sober up, he's horrified because they've done nothing. I think that's because what we're supposed to understand that is a key part of their personality was to colonize this planet, and they didn't. And so, and I'm the way I'm understanding colonize is to grow, expand, create new, settle, settle. settle of Catan that place. They should all have like five babies each by now. Five yeah. babies in three years. Like that's the goal. Because I don't, I would be <laughs> sorry, Kim. I just math that out. I'm like, hmm, lots of twins, lot of lots guys. of twins. Because uh-huh. I could not be like a lady of leisure retired person. I could do that for a few months, and then I'd be bored out of my mind, and I'd have to make something. Well, they do make something. They farm. They, they, they're they, subsistence farming. Yeah, they but they still, they also make gross But they overalls. still get up in the morning and have something to go and do. Like, they have to do that subsistence farming. Yeah, I think that they have a sense of purpose to every day. But they're not, they're not scrambling to stay alive. They're no. not fighting for but, resources. They're not, they're not in pain. They're not at risk of death or yeah, illness or, and, Maybe that is paradise. I think it's stasis. Maybe paradise is stasis. Maybe that's the definition. Strongly disagree. I think it's like Tuck Everlasting. Oh, don't drink the spring water. I've never seen Tuck Everlasting. Oh, it's a book. Oh, never read Tuck Everlasting. It's a children's book about this family that they were most pioneers, I want to say. Yeah. And they find this spring and they drink the water. And the water essentially puts them in stasis. They don't grow older. Fountain of Youth? Yeah, but they don't change. Okay. So they never age. Okay. And they never die. And their personalities never really change either. No. Nothing about them changes or grows. Not even internally. But do they have the ability or is it just completely stunts them? 
It, much in the way it's that not, the people mm-hmm. on these planets they're have on pause. Yeah. They they get well to the point of perfect health and then they don't change. Nothing There's changes. There's no death. And mm-hmm. that's like a horror movie to me, honestly. Nothing changes. May as well be dead. I think they can change things. Depends what they wanted to change, whether it angered the spores or not. <laughs> hmm. So, Kim, life lesson to draw from this. Uh, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Sorry. <laughs> Stasis is basically death. I'm going to say... I could not live on this planet. Don't put your face that close to a (laughs) plant that looks like it's about to burst all over your face. This is like, you know, in chemistry class in high school, they're like, waft it, don't (laughs) (laughs) Apparently someone wasn't listening in grade 10. No. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kim, performance of the episode. Leonard Nimoy. Ari? I don't know her name. The... Our guest star. Really? The actress? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Explain. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't like her personally, but I thought she communicated herself extremely well. Jill Ireland? Sure. That's a good name. Better Damn. than Nimoy? Really? Really? Nimoy's always amazing. I mean, I respect your opinion in the way that I disagree with you, but... Nimoy's always amazing, and you guys are both going to give it to him. Oh, yeah. I am going to give it to Nimoy. In more ways than one. Um, <laughs> I thought he did a really strong performance in oh, this yeah. episode. Oh, yeah. He communicated so much. Bizarro to see him smile. Yeah. So Bizarre. weird. Totally surreal. Um, but I thought he really communicated, like, the sadness, the regret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was, he was great. I thought he knocked it out of the park. Yep. We had uh, ten ladies mm-hmm. and six people of color, none of them among the colonists, because I guess all of the brown no, people were in the other colony. No, you missed one. I missed one? Yeah, you did. There was a brown colonist. Where? On, on the, the colony. colony. Like like in the beginning or? In the middle when they were being, uh, when McCoy was feeling oh, them carrying up. things. No, was feeling them up. Oh, you mean examining them. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> like very sharp medical terminology. Okay, then seven. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, so. Zero deaths. You sound so disappointed. That's I'm true. always disappointed. I have nothing to do when there's nobody dies. I have, I have one job, like and that's bones. to count the dead people. No death, no need. No. Don't worry, Kim. Next episode, we'll have more than enough to keep you busy. Yes. All right, and that is us. Oh, um, oh. Can I just say one thing? I was so happy to see my girl, DC Fontana, in the story by and teleplay credits. I was, like, really happy. That's always super fun. Is that, this actually one that had her name on it, or the one that had her um, Nope, she was uh, tel- teleplay by DC, DC Fontana, Fontana, and the story okay. by credit was shared with another dude whose name I didn't care about. Well, because she's also, there's at least two episodes that are her, that she writes as Michael Richards. Yes, because they're shit. She didn't want to put shit, her name yes. on them. Yeah. This one, she did a heavy rewrite on it. Yeah. Yeah. It was that very much good. is obvious. Yeah. Um, if you if you like us, you should go to iTunes and give us all the stars. We always really appreciate that. Oh yeah. We're <laughs> also on Twitter uh, as N S M T Z podcast. Should they follow us on Tumblr? They should can. They? How if many they really Tumblr want followers to. do we have? Five. Five. Oh, yeah. come on, people. We can get well, six by the end of the week. Two of them are you and me. Oh, so three. Three. <laughs> Fine. There's nothing. There's nothing really on Tumblr. Most people just subscribe and don't look at it, so it's cool. We, we appreciate you three followers. We really do. We love you. I'm gonna guess that one of them, if you go look, is Pastor Parvis, and that's my friend. So we've only got two. We still appreciate Pastor Parvis. It's cool. We love you all, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>